This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Now, as you've been hearing here on WBEZ, Chicago public schools are back in session. This is the fourth school year that's been impacted by the pandemic, but things look a little different this fall. COVID precautions have significantly eased since the spring. So joining us to help navigate the pandemic school year and more is Dr. Mia Teramina, an infectious disease specialist with Dooley Health and Care. Hey, Dr. T. Hey, Sasha. We're taking your calls as well. So do you have questions for the doctor about how to keep the kids in your life safe this school year or any other questions about COVID, monkeypox or something else? Call us now at 866-915-WBEZ. Again, that's 866-915-WBEZ. All right, Dr. Teramina, are these relaxed COVID precautions in schools, is that enough? Well, we'll have to see. I think that we need to have room again to pivot on what our policies are, you know, if things change in the weeks and months to come, especially as we approach the fall where we typically see an uptick in influenza, COVID, all the respiratory illnesses in the fall. But right now, as we have opened our doors and started this year, there's far fewer masks seen everywhere than even the end of last year. So we'll have to see kind of how things go and how these numbers evolve over the weeks and months to come. Well, what other safety measures can schools take to prevent spreading COVID and other illnesses? So as far as the schools go, I still think that emphasizing outdoor stuff is going to be really key if we're able to do phys ed classes outside. Some schools are able to have lunch outside. I think that's outstanding. And then where we do have classrooms that have the ability for uh, windows to be opened, I think ventilation is key and having those windows open. If we're talking about a school perhaps in an older building, not a lot of uh, ventilation, not a lot of ability to open windows or get outside, then that's where we have to kind of hone in on good hand washing, seeing if we can have some distancing within the classroom as we're able to do so. And parents should have their kids fully vaccinated and all kids are eligible for a booster as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so as parents, really measures that we can take to protect our kids is Essentially making sure that they're vaccinated. And I mean, this morning I sent my kids out the door with a couple extra masks and and some sanitizer. And I was like, go. (laughs) Bye. I I didn't know what else to do. It is. It is. It's sort of a a good luck. Make good choices. You know, our kids are kind of able to to make some choices themselves at this point as well if they're not feeling well or notice that their friends aren't. Another very important layer in mitigation for us as parents taking care of our kids is these boosters that are more Omicron specific are coming. Um, And we're now hearing from Pfizer that it could be next month. Moderna will likely be in October. But if we ourselves, can get ourselves vaccinated against these Omicron strains and are less likely to get them, we are less likely to infect our kids when and if we become sick. So our kids might not yet be eligible for Omicron-specific boosters in this first release of vaccine. But us as parents, we need to roll up our sleeves once again to kind of protect our kids and those who can't be vaccinated. Why has the vaccine uptake been so low when it comes to the under five crowd? You know, I think there's a couple of different reasons. The, the uptake is very low. In, in Illinois, it's estimated at, at 1 in 20 under age 5 have received even a single dose. It's now been two months since our youngest kids have been eligible. Um, I think that there is uh, some folks that want to wait and, and get a little more information. And I would argue that the time is now. We've had a whole bunch of kids vaccinated. It's been over two months. We haven't had any major issues. I think there's misinformation out there. And I think that you should speak with your provider about 
about that. I do think it's a bit challenging to get kids under three vaccinated because the commercial pharmacies generally are not doing it. Um, so you do have to reach out to your provider to find out where the littlest kids can get their vaccines. And I also think that there's a swath of parents that feel like either their kids have had it, uh, they're not high risk, and they just don't have any plans on vaccinated, vaccinating the littlest ones. Yeah. If you're just tuning in, this is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and we are talking with Dr. Mia Teramina from Dooley Health and Care. If you've got a question about COVID, monkeypox, or anything, call us now at 866-915-WBEZ. Again, 866-915-WBEZ. And I should clear that up. I don't mean anything. I mean anything related to infectious diseases. Uh, Let's uh, switch gears, doctor. Let's talk about monkeypox. Last week, you told us that there were over 800 cases in Illinois. What are the latest numbers? So always playing catch up on a Monday. So we'll look for that to refresh hopefully later today. But as of the last count, there's 953 cases in the state of Illinois. We are still getting calls fairly regularly um, about uh, folks that are uh, concerned that some of the symptoms they're experiencing may be monkeypox. So there are definitely cases. The numbers are going to continue going up um, and they're going to start spreading into other populations as well. We need to stop pigeonholing this into being just a quote unquote sexually trans transmitted infection because it's not. And we need to be mindful that anyone that we have close physical contact with, anyone we care about and love, if we're having symptoms of monkeypox, we can spread it to them. Is it a big threat in schools right now or not so much? It's not going to be an immediate threat in schools, um, but if we went to the extent where we start to have this virus move out of certain higher risk populations and into the general population a little bit more, like it will, like many viruses in the past have, if we are to have a child in a classroom that does have monkeypox, which inevitably that's going to happen somewhere soon enough and we will hear about it, this is not something that's airborne. It's unlikely that we're going to suddenly have an entire classroom taken out by monkeypox. Um, but to the extent that little kids, especially the youngest ones, are really, you know, up close and personal with one another, those that have had physical contact with someone, if they have lesions that are active and are actively showing symptoms, yes, they could be at risk and they may be a exposure vaccine. Let's jump to the phones. Here is Maureen in Westmont. Hi, Maureen. Welcome to Reset. Hi, thank you for taking my call. Sure. So, Dr. Um, I have a big family picnic coming up. I didn't go last year because of COVID. Um, I have Moderna, both shots. I'm double boosted. But I know a lot of people in this family um, probably haven't done that. I don't want to get COVID. Can I go to the picnic? Can I double mask up? What can I do to go to this picnic? Or do I not go? Well, Maureen, first things first, if this is an outdoor picnic, it is going to be a lot less risky than having something that's indoors or events that go both outdoors and indoors. So to the extent that the weather's great and you're able to stay outdoors, relatively distanced from folks uh, or wearing a mask as you see fit, especially if your risk factors are there. I think that that's very reasonable. Um, Using some hand sanitizer uh, when needed. um, If you do have to go indoors for any reason, keeping a social distance. Um, And I think it is reasonable to go to outdoor events and enjoy them and be a part of the activities as best you can. And you can observe yourself for symptoms afterwards. um, And out of an abundance of caution, you can certainly continue masking in all indoor spaces for 10 days after the picnic, just while you're observing yourself for any symptoms. And go ahead and test yourself even with no symptoms on day five, uh, just to make sure uh, or sooner if any symptoms arise. 
you know, Doctor, we, we know that there are possible long-term effects of COVID-19 infection. We've talked about it quite a bit here with you on, on the program. But recent studies have looked at the prevalence of long COVID in kids and teens. What is long COVID again, and how do we define it, first of all? So we're still working on, on definitions symptom-wise, um, and they can be pretty broad when it comes to symptoms that people continue to experience. Everybody recovers from COVID differently, and a vast majority of people will endorse that they still have some symptoms after they test negative or break their isolation. But usually within a couple of weeks, most people are in that point of feeling pretty fully uh, resolved. For the folks that aren't, and it goes beyond four weeks, that's when our radar really starts to go up because a, a significant percentage of folks continue to have symptoms between four weeks and 12 weeks after having acute COVID. Once we get beyond 12 weeks, we're definitely in that long COVID category. But at this point, even with children and teens, we're looking at about 25% who have some symptoms lasting longer than four weeks. And when it comes to these kids, the most common symptoms that we're going to be seeing are uh, the fatigue, sleep disturbances, and kind of mood behavior changes, whether it's a little bit of depression, anxiety, or just irritability um, as kids are recovering from this. Wow. So, So caregivers, what should we watch for in our kids who have recently had COVID? I think it's important that even though they seem better, they may still need rest. And that's going to include, you know, from sports activities and things like that, where, you know, you might want to really emphasize that sleep hygiene, especially if you have an older tween or teen that's pushing that bedtime to 11, 12 o'clock at night. It's just way too late. So we want to make sure that we get these kids getting their homework done early, getting to bed early, maybe taking a pass on a few sports practices or practicing more minimally if they're still feeling fatigued so they have time to fully recover. Long before COVID existed, we had, you know, things and still have things like mono. And for folks that, you know, have had mono before and taken weeks to recover, we almost need to keep this as a mono-like recovery and give these little people some time. Wow. Let's jump back to the phones here for a couple of callers. Here's Christina in Rogers Park. Hi, Christina. Welcome. Hi, thank you. I just wanted to ask, um, it's time for me to start buying plane tickets for holiday travel. And I know it's kind of early in terms of knowing how COVID is going to shift and change, but I am thinking about going to see my parents. They live in the South. They are vaccinated, but they're not boosted and they pretty much refuse to get boosted. Um, I've tried to talk to them a few times. Is it reasonable? Is that a, um, as someone who's healthy and boosted and vaxxed, is it reasonable for me to go down there and visit them and not be wearing a mask when I'm with them in terms of indoors? I'll definitely wear a mask anywhere else I go, but just when I'm like inside visiting with immediate family. Sure. When you're visiting uh, older folks who might be a little more vulnerable to more severe COVID illness and are not up to date on their on their vaccines, I, I would say it's paramount that you get your vaccine this fall with a more Omicron specific, you know, component into it to best protect yourself. And you can certainly test yourself before you fly out to see your parents or anyone that might be more susceptible to make sure uh, to the best of your ability that you're fully vaccinated, fully boosted, testing negative, and then go ahead and enjoy those activities with your family indoors. Yes, unmasked should be reasonable too. You will have fulfilled sort of all of what you can do to best protect them. And, you know, the rest is sort of up to them to protect themselves, where I would uh, truly hope that they would reconsider an Omicron-specific booster this fall. I think that's going to be really important. Thanks, Dr. 
Here is Margaret in Evanston. Hi, Margaret. What's your question? Hi. We've put up with an awfully lot of uncertainty and sort of misinformation and all kinds of things like that in this process. But I'm wondering why my daughter, who is a teacher, can't get her second booster because she's not over 50. Good question. I, I, I cannot... Uh, um fully state as to why that is a reality at this point. I, I, as an infectious disease doctor, seeing COVID patients happen to be under 50 and cannot get a second booster as well. So I think that it is uh, far time for those under age 50 who have job-related or other vulnerabilities towards having more severe COVID or more COVID exposure need to be able to get boosted. I can't change the past, but I can tell you that when Pfizer is hopefully approved in the coming weeks, it should be everyone over age 12 eligible to get this Omicron-specific booster, and hopefully uh, your daughter can get boosted ASAP. We have a comment from Deborah in Warrenville who couldn't stay on the line. Uh, she's wondering whether the flu season will be worse this year and will the regular flu shot help? So every year we have to make a flu shot that sort of is based on a predictability and a pattern of previous influenza seasons. So we try our best, but no flu shot is perfect. Uh, a very, very good flu shot might only be protective about 40 or 50% of the time. Sometimes we have flu shots that miss the mark almost completely, but they generally do result in people getting a less severe illness. So definitely get your flu shots. Now that we have less and less masking as we move into the fall, um, we are likely to see more cases. I always judge an impending bad flu season by how soon in the season we start to see influenza. If we're not seeing cases in October, November, and we're not starting to see them until December or January, it's usually a more typical flu year. But I always am on high alert if I start seeing influenza cases in early October. That's a very early flu season, and that could be uh, a signal of what is to come. Back to uh, monkeypox for just a moment. In your professional opinion, Dr. Teramina, are schools prepared for it? Gosh, I hope so. Um, I think that there, when and if there is a case, there will be a lot of panic and a lot of uncertainty as to what to do. I think there's going to likely be overcalls in terms of quarantining uh, possible exposed students. And we're talking about very long quarantines. You know, you can yeah. show symptoms, you know, anywhere between day five-ish all the way up through day 21. And I just don't want to see a classroom of kids having to flip to virtual learning for three weeks. It's a lot of learning loss in the making. Periods. I know, I know. So I really hope that if you are part of a school system uh, that is trying to prepare for this, uh, that you do retain consultants in, in my field um, to, to kind of help you talk through this and rely on the health department as well to make the best decisions to keep as many healthy kids in class as possible. That's infectious disease specialist Dr. Mia Teramina with Dooley Health and Care. Thank you so much, Dr. T. Take care. Want more context on the top issues of the day? Find the podcast, WBEZ's Reset, wherever you listen.